Public education matters. Public education matters. Public education matters because every student matters. Public education matters. Public education matters because it is the foundation of our democracy. Public education matters because we are stronger when we speak in one voice. Public education matters. Public education matters. Public education matters. Public education matters. This is Public Education Matters, brought to you by the Ohio Education Association. Thanks for joining us for Public Education Matters. I'm Katie Olmstead, and it should surprise no one that I believe strongly in my heart, like the 120,000 educators that make up the Ohio Education Association statewide, that public education matters. We believe every child of every race, background, gender, religion, and ability deserves a great public education, no exceptions. Unfortunately, when it comes to making sure children of all abilities have access to high-quality public education, there's one specials area where a lot of schools may be falling short. That's physical education. And Alex Myers, a phys ed teacher in Marietta, is on a mission to change that. He wants to make sure every child can get the benefits of great physical education classes in welcoming environments that embrace differences in kids' abilities. And he wants to make sure educators have training to know how to adapt their phys ed lessons in ways that may be needed. So Alex is working to bring together educators across the state to share their experiences and ideas for adaptive phys ed solutions to help provide better physical education for everyone. Alex is a member ambassador for Ohio's New Educators, or ONE, and he joins us for this episode to share his thoughts and an invite for other educators to join him in this cause. So this is something that I have come into this year where last year, I was in more of an adapted PE setting where they were um, excluded from the regular ed students. And I had, I had kind of been hearing a few things that were going on in this other building where they were included. And I was a little bit disturbed by the things I was hearing. So one of the things was when the job came open, I decided to take it and see what I could do to change that and see where I could educate other people on, on how to deal with students who are on IEPs or have physical disabilities that may not always succeed in a phys ed setting. So let's break that down. When adaptive phys ed is done well, what does that look like? And and what does it look like when it's not done well? What was disturbing about that situation for you? So when adaptive phys ed is done well, normally the students are on an IEP that says what goals they need to reach as far as for physical education. When it's not done well, there's not really IEPs, there's no goals set, there's um, there's no real boundaries that you go with, and it's kind of more, and I don't want to say this because it's, it's kind of a hot button word in, in education, but more of a babysitting setting where you're there just to give the their intervention specialist a break from their day, <laughs> give them their planning period, and, and that's this kind of setting that we want to try to avoid because we want to take it seriously and it is something that can be important for those students. Um, the thing that I saw that was kind of disturbing, we had a student, we still have a student, but she was in kindergarten and I made sure I talked to this parent and let her know that I use her as an, as an example a lot because she's amazing. 
but she's in a wheelchair. She has mobility, slight mobility of her arms and legs, but no strength or balance or anything like that. So I didn't know much about her, but, you know, we talked to each other and bounce ideas off each other and try to figure out what we could do to help her. And last year I was hearing that instead of collaborating, she was being pushed in her wheelchair and laps around the gym. That was something that disturbed me quite a bit because obviously that does nothing for the student. That does help the attendant with her exercise, but not necessarily the student that you're there to teach. So um, in an environment where that's inclusive, you want to try to at least find a way to get that person involved. Even if you're a little bit intimidated by it, it's a very intimidating situation to come across these, um, these students who you may not have been trained how to handle or may not have any resources available to you. But it, I understand it's intimidating, but you have to find a way to service that child no matter what. Um, even if their IEP doesn't specifically say anything about physical education, that child is under your care and you need to do the best that you can for them. Because at the end of the day, every child deserves the benefits of physical education. For the sake of full disclosure, I was horrible in phys ed. Like it was, I I had a wonderful um, phys ed teacher who one time told me I put the bad in badminton and he was right. Um, Even I though could see the benefits of phys ed, hating every second of it. What, What do students get out of phys ed? Uh, whether they need adaptations or not. Right. So I think it's just such a broad range of things. It really depends on their individual needs. Some of it is for the social aspect of it. You know, they're not probably going to be interested in sports or or anything like that, but getting them to socialize with another student, that could be their goal. Just getting them moving and learning more about their body and just exploring how fun physical activity can be. I know we have standards and, and all these things that come from the state, but at the same time, you have to look at what those children need. And it's not 99% of the kids don't need sports skills as much, but those sports skills do lead into joining leagues that they could socialize, build friendships. They could you know, just learn more about their body and how they can explore that more. It's just, there's so many things to it that I just love. Um, you can incorporate other skills from different areas. We, we really like to look at each ch- child and see what their needs are. Right now, the social aspect is probably the biggest part of it, um, especially with COVID being so recent. Kids are not joining leagues as much as they used to, but that's also because they were kind of separated from sports. They weren't around other students and they don't know how to behave around each other or talk to each other. So just getting them socializing and teaching them how even start up a game at recess. You know, I could go on forever about all the benefits of it, but it's much more than just getting them moving or just getting making better athletes. I don't want better athletes. I just want better humans is what I say. So I'm not looking, I'm not calling up ESPN and saying, hey, come to my class, kid. I'm just seeing if they are improving, if they are working to be a better person, um, interact with more people than they did before and making it fun for everybody. A lot of things that I learned from phys ed was sportsmanship and and teamwork. And I tell the kids that sportsmanship isn't always just, you know, saying good game at the end. It's it's making the game enjoyable for the other person so that they would want to play with you again, (laughs) because you're not winning any trophies in here. There's no point in bragging. It's you want this game beginning, middle and end to be fun for everybody. And I think we have to get away from the, the sports focus on it a little bit. Um, because 
in general, when students get into sports, they play, you know, middle school, high school, maybe college. That's probably, you know, 10% of our students that go to college and play. And then beyond that, it's 1% of 1% that go beyond college. So it's really not realistic to only focus on sports. But um, that's why I try to also, you know, expose them to as many activities as I possibly can. Um, I know it's kind of a roundabout answer and there's a lot of different things, but, you know, there's no real one concise way to say the benefits of phys ed. It's just so many things that go into it that are unseen. And even when you look into a classroom and you think they're not learning anything, even if the teacher doesn't say, hey, you're specifically learning this, each activity has a reason and um, a motive behind it for them to learn. And really what you're saying there makes it all the more important to have inclusive, adaptive phys ed for every student so that every student can thrive in that environment. I have to imagine uh, whether you're, you know, going on to play college ball or something, there's a level of empowerment that every student can achieve. There's a level of confidence that every student can benefit from when they have appropriate activities that that allow them to participate. Even yeah. me, I, I didn't need adaptive sports, but when the, the sports were adapted to my terrible skill levels, it was it was awesome. I enjoyed participating. Yeah, and I went to a training last year that was really amazing because it wasn't about, you know, teaching students how to become better basketball players, and it was mostly basketball focused. It was about changing the game of basketball to be the same, but work for all kids. Like, for example, you know, you score a point if you put the ball in the hoop and through the net. But in this version, you might use a volleyball because it's lighter and you might just be trying to hit the backboard. Um, and that could be the goal of the game. And that evens it out because the basketball players want to try to shoot it in the hoop every time. They may not be used to aiming for the backboard. Um, they may not be used to uh, handling a volleyball. So it kind of evens it out for everybody keeping everybody on their toes and just leveling the playing field so that everybody gets a chance to succeed. And when we started doing it that way, we saw a lot of more smiling faces and happy faces that the basketball players weren't super happy with it and <laughs> enjoy it. But I got more, more students who were saying that was their favorite activity of the year. And it's just one of those things where uh, just leveling that playing field for everybody. Well, everyone to have fun, not just, uh, not just the kids that, genuinely already enjoy it and already look at themselves as athletes that want to play sports for their whole lives. You know, we had the other 95% there. <laughs> now you mentioned the training, especially when it comes to the adaptive physical education, that training is so important to give the educators the confidence to do this. What yeah. should that training look like? I mean, it just, ha it's very broad. It has to be very broad um, because no two disabilities look the same. No two students look the same. But no two students with disabilities look the same. They might have the same diagnosis, but it's not going to be it's not going to be the same in your classroom. I like to use autism as an example. It's a spectrum. Everything is a spectrum. Even the skills of, of our typical students, you know, it, it's broad. A good training is not necessarily telling them what to do, but where to find resources. That's what we're trying to set up a little bit is a, some kind of avenue to talk to each other and collaborate with each other across Ohio or even across the United States. But the problem is that we go to these trainings and they tell us these things and then we're just done. Um, but for me, I get these ideas, but it works for one student. And then I have this equipment that works for the student. And then the next one comes along and I don't know what to do with them. 
So I have to retrain myself every year, but we want to find a way that tells people the training should be, why is it important uh, for that, that child, that singular child? And then where are the resources to where I can find that stuff? And what does it look like in a classroom to be fully inclusive? Because I believe in the inclusivity of them. I do believe that there are, uh, are circumstances where an adapted, separate adapted physical education class is necessary, but I believe fully in being inclusive with every, every student. And it sounds like one of the big things that everyone can benefit from is just bouncing ideas off of each other because yeah. you may have had a student like that this year and and they may have had a student like that last year and and you can sort of grow from each other's experiences right yeah and that's 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 very important is the collaboration because even within your own district you get to talk to those people but within that district it's a very small sample size you may not get the full view of of what all is out there and I think that's the point of the collaboration is that you don't know what someone else, you know, even just a town over has dealt with that is similar to what you have. And, and I'm not saying it's like a, you have to deal with it, but it's the student that you're, you're in charge of. But um, things that you may not have ever thought of that they may have thought of, maybe they have a resource that you could use. Maybe they have uh, an, an OT or a PT that a physical therapist that has work with similar students and they're very willing to talk to you or give you ideas. Um, and I think that's the best part is like right now we have a student, my first student ever who is blind. <laughs> he also has autism and that's been a huge challenge for me. I have absolutely no idea how to do physical activities with someone who is, who is visually impaired, but we have a visual therapist and I just, ask her a thousand questions a week just to see what I can do for, for him that's going to benefit him in some way. And um, it's looking at who you can talk to within your district and beyond your district and just find those friends because making those connections is very important. Um, I, I have luckily had a few people that I've been able to reach out to to find ideas, but a lot of people don't have that or know where to find that. So and that's something you're hoping to change. You are sort of spearheading an effort to put together a, an ongoing group of educators who are working towards that same goal, right? Right. Yeah. So our our goal is to find as many people who are physical educators or even physical therapists, occupational therapists, anyone we can find who is willing to just be a part of this group, whether it's through Facebook, um, Twitter, or whatever it's called now, X. Um, in any other social media platforms where we can get together and just share ideas, you know, not, not send pictures, but maybe just, Hey, I did this activity with a student and it worked really well. They really enjoyed it. You can try it too, if you want to. And there's just a big database that people can go back to, to look at and, and find ideas for their own kids when they're struggling. Cause we all struggle and it's intimidating sometimes to have someone in there that you have no idea what their experience is like. You can't, empathize with them in any way um but you have people that have now experienced that and they've gone through it and they can kind of help you out it's just sharing knowledge and i think that's the most important part about education we're teachers we want to share knowledge so if we can get that um get people that could be more involved and learn from it and even the person that had my job last year who you know obviously was intimidated and struggled with that maybe in the future he will learn, you know, 
these techniques and they won't be as intimidated and it can help a lot more kids. So it's all about really the students, not necessarily about the, teach the educators, but. <laughs> and, and having these conversations with educators, have you encountered a lot of resistance when, when presented with some possibilities and some um, innovative solutions? Have, have you really encountered anyone who's like, no, I don't want to try? Well, there are times. Um, there are times where you might run into people, and I love all educators, and I understand that it's all about their background and their experience and maybe just being a little intimidated or even a little embarrassed to say that they don't know. And they make excuses where it's like, well, you know, they shouldn't, they don't belong in my class anyway. I don't know. I shouldn't be teaching them because they don't belong there. Um, I, for the people I've talked to recently, I haven't seen any resistance. They just may not, they may not have students in their district that are, are high need. Um, so their need for this kind of program isn't, isn't high. Um, but the, the resistance is not super, super strong. I don't see a whole lot of people who are saying, no, I don't need this. They're just saying, you know, well, I don't know how I can get these resources. How am I supposed to get this equipment? How am I supposed to get this or that? And that's where I come in and just try to help them along and say, well, these are the resources I use, or this is the person I talk to. Maybe you can try that first. Um, I've only had one who said, no, I'm not really interested. I, I think I do do okay as it is. And I think that's okay as well. You know, they, if they feel like they're confident enough to do it themselves, that's, that's great. But I like to collaborate and that person, if they're if they're already confident in their skills, would be exactly the kind of person we want in this community of educators to share their experience, right? Yeah, that's that's what I was trying. I'm trying to go for is you know I'm not just looking for the people who need help, but the people that are willing to to help as well, um, that have that knowledge and say, well, what is it you do that you're so confident in? What is the thing that you do that you think you do the best? And can you share that? And then we can share it among our our group, our team. We're all colleagues, you know. We're all in it for the same reasons, hopefully, and uh, I just want—I just want to make sure that they're all doing the best for those students. Alex, what is the thing that you do the best? What, what is that like? I am just so proud of what I've been able to accomplish when it comes to this particular thing. I, for, for my particular thing, so I have to admit I am married to an intervention specialist, so I have kind of a, a soft side for our kids with disabilities. Um, just from hearing stories and uh, I have an uncle or had an uncle, he passed away a couple years ago, but he had a disability. Um, and just seeing, just, just seeing the, the need for getting to know them. And I make it a point and not just for them, but every kid make it a point to go up to them and make sure that they know that they are welcome there and that I want them there. And I think that's the thing I do the best. I, I try my best to make sure that they know that I want them there and that they're not a burden on me. Um, and then it's just trying to be creative. When I talk to people, I'm very proud of the fact that I come up with things that with my current equipment that I have that I don't have to go and buy, I come up with ideas that are going to work for them. And, and I'm also proud of the fact that <laughs> I try. Um, because even if it fails, they see that you're trying, and that's all that really matters to those students. And any student is that you're trying. I I think, like you said, what's my most proud? I think I'm most proud of, of failing. <laughs> <laughs> I fail a lot, and I think that is okay. And I've learned most from all my failures, and that 
the kids see that even though I'm, I may have failed on an activity or trying something new that they're seeing I failed, but I'm going to keep on trying. And I try, I was trying for them. <laughs> it wasn't for me. It wasn't for, you know, my principal or, you know, even a podcast. <laughs> it was for, for them. I'm trying to do it for them. Um, and they, I think they know that they, that I want them there. And I think that's what I really enjoy about it is, is because in other environments, they're not welcomed and, or at least if they are, they don't feel welcomed. And I, that's my one thing is I want them to know I want them there at all times. So, yeah. Like, and coming totally. back to those benefits of, of phys ed in general, when they feel welcome in your class, what does that do for their lives outside of your class? Right. So for outside of their class, if if they feel welcome in my class, I feel like they're they're just going to have a little more confidence. Um, there's a lot of times where we, we do these surveys as to do you have one person in the building that you can trust? And I want them to know that it's always like there's always at least one person. And I am one person you can trust and one person that you can go to and one person that wants you there. And that builds that confidence because they may not have that outside of school. But um, if they come to school and know that at least one person there wants them there and enjoys having them and welcomes in, them in, I think that they'll, they'll just have that confidence to go out into the world and be like, OK, I am wanted. Um, as far as for phys ed in general, with me welcoming them in, they might ha- feel a little more comfortable doing physical activities, knowing that they're welcome into a gym. You know, that's a big thing is when they go to beyond um, high school and whatnot, when they try to find their gym that they can go to or their place where they can go to, they stay active. Just having that in the back of their mind that they had a good time and enjoyed it and that they were loved in that moment and they weren't screamed at and a whistle blowing at them all the time and, <laughs> and all that stuff. It's, there's no, trauma involved in it it's all fun and enjoyable and it gets them going back in one of the biggest parts of people dropping out of workout programs is is usually just the discomfort and the the worry that they're going to be embarrassed but um i allow for embarrassment you can be embarrassed you can but we're going to bounce back and keep going it's not going to matter you're going to fail but we're going to learn from it you know it's just I, i think that they they benefit from that a lot there's a lot of different things yeah Everyone learning from it together. Everyone being welcome to learn. Yeah. Alex, thank you so, so much for sitting down with us today. Oh, yeah. No problem. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. (laughs) If you'd like to join the community of educators who are working with Alex to improve access to adaptive physical education for Ohio students, you can email him at myersa at oeaone dot org. That contact information is in the show notes for this episode. And while you're there, as always, I invite you to go back and listen to past episodes you may have missed, including an episode not too long ago when we announced OEA's legislative scorecard was getting a major revamp and we looked at the changes in the works. Well, those changes have now been made, and any member who goes to scorecard.ohea.org can take a great deep dive into how our legislators have voted on issues that matter for Ohio's public school educators and the students they serve. Issues like those covered by Senate Bill 83, which has come to be called the Higher Education Destruction Act. 
Unfortunately, that recently passed in a House committee thanks to Representative Gail Manning's changed vote on that issue. Now, while committee votes don't affect a legislator's score on OEA's scorecard, we will be watching to see how she votes on 83 if it comes up for a full House vote. And thanks to the great tracking on OEA's legislative scorecard, OEA members will not forget how she voted come Election Day. To walk us through the updates to OEA's legislative scorecard and to show us why it is such a powerful tool, we're joined now by OEA Vice President Jeff Wensing and OEA's Manager of Government Relations, Dan Ramos. Dan Ramos, Jeff Wensing, thank you so much for sitting down with us to walk us through what's new and how we got here. Let's start with that second question. Jeff, why is this legislative scorecard something that has been in the works for so long? Yeah, great question, Katie. Thanks. Um, our delegates at last year's Fall Representative Assembly, so December 2022, put together a new business item outlining their wants for a new legislative scorecard. Uh, the reference uh, they made was back to uh, a website called uh, knowyourcharter.com. Uh, you would go to the website, punch in the information, and it would give you pretty detailed information about how your school district was losing money to charter schools. So our delegates said, we want something really cool like that for uh, Know Your Legislator. And I think we were able to not only meet their needs, but I think our, our final product goes above and beyond that. And I just think it's a, a really, really cool tool to be able to use for uh, our members. And Jeff, you were able to show off this cool tool at the Fall RA in 2023. Dan, what can you tell me about what is on the legislative scorecard now? Yeah, thanks, Katie, and, and thanks, Jeff, for that lead-in and, and the work that was done over the course of this past year. You know, really, we dug into the functionality, and we really wanted to make sure that our members uh, and those that are interested in looking at how the General Assembly votes on education-related issues, uh, you know, can see what their legislators do. So, some of the some of the new things we have extended data. Uh, you know, that we do allow individuals to do a deep dive into legislative actions on public education, on collective bargaining bills, on bills that we are tracking uh, that are currently before the General Assembly. The nice thing about the new functionality is that it provides real-time updates. Um, so we don't have to go in and manually update the status of a bill. Uh, the, the system that this sits on, that, that the new scorecard sits on, looks at the General Assembly and it updates information in almost real time when a vote occurs or a bill is introduced we can you know see it almost almost automatically on the back end or on the actual page, and it's extremely user friendly. Um, you know the previous page you can only really look up your legislators when you put in your uh, address. Now you can filter it by you know alphabetical, so you can see every every member of the Ohio General Assembly. You can filter it by party. You can filter it by chamber. You can filter it by district. You can see how the scorecard you know how legislators rank you know, in a descending order or ascending order. So it's a pretty, a pretty nifty tool, if I might add. And these scores are a really good indication of whether somebody is a friend of public education or somebody who perhaps come election day would be better to have a better friend of education in, right? There's a, there's a really important accountability element on this one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when you look at the scorecard, uh, it's a green and red situation. If your score is between zero and 49, uh, you're highlighted in red. And if your score is between uh, 50 
and 100, uh, you're highlighted in green. I think another uh, very interesting piece of the uh, website is the fact that um, you are able to look up OEA's testimony on any given piece of legislation. So if you're talking to your members in your local about uh, OEA's position uh, on a certain bill or why we're endorsing certain legislators, you can actually pull up either our written testimony or our actual in-person testimony. You have great talking points uh, at your fingertips that you can use with members at your work sites. And is that really the big hope for how this tool is going to be used? It's not just about election day. It's all year round, making sure that educators are on the same page using our united voice to create the public schools our students deserve. A thousand percent, Katie. One of the things that, you know, we made sure and we wanted to make sure were included in this tool was, you know, data that members can access to help inform their advocacy. You know, oftentimes we ask members to call their legislators or, or send a letter uh, to their legislators when a big issues before the General Assembly. What this will allow a member to do, as, as Vice President Wensing said, is they can go on uh, the scorecard, they can find their legislator, they can find a specific bill that we're tracking on the scorecard, download that testimony and talk to their colleagues and say, hey, look, like legislator A or you know legislator B, they voted the wrong way on this. Let's talk to them about why and see if we can build this relationship uh, and move them on another bill uh, in the future. And, and I know there are already members across the state that have emailed us about how they're using it. Uh, we know of a member in the Canton area uh, that shared with her legislators their scores uh, and when one pushed back and asked why it was not good enough, her response was, well, work on doing better for us. You know, make better votes for public education and for working people. One of the uh, things that I believe uh, our members were very interested in and were able to deliver is the fact that we don't forget about what you've done in the past either. So there are, uh, there's a score on the scorecard for the current General Assembly as well as a lifetime score uh, for, that, for that legislator. Highly recommend people get in there and check it out for themselves, not only for their legislator, but every legislator to see who is truly pro-public education. Katie, do we have time? Maybe we could walk you through one particular, maybe even two particular legislators in the General Assembly. Let's stick with one and do it fast because I'm already way over time. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, obviously, as you know, our since we're talking about public education and collective bargaining issues, um, you know, let's look at a, a, a friend that comes from the Republican Caucus in the Ohio House uh, that you know was very influential uh, in our ability to pass like pro-public education policy in the last budget. This is State Representative Jay Edwards. He represents uh, the Athens area. Um, uh, he's currently in his final term in the Ohio House. His lifetime score, uh, as Vice President Wensing mentioned, we have one of these is 74. And that's over the last three General Assemblies. Uh, his current score uh, in this General Assembly is 96. Uh, so he's actually one of the one of the higher scoring members of, of the General Assembly. You know, these legislators sometimes will vote other ways than what we want them to, but on big issues, you know, for example, uh, Representative Edwards voted against both times uh, that we scorecarded uh, Senate Joint Resolution 2, which was the uh, the joint resolution that gave us issue one in August. Uh, he voted no amending back in the August special election, and then ultimately voted no on the bill. Uh, and, and recently has supported uh, the concurrent resolution to call for the repeal of GPO WEP. Uh, so additionally, and just one final item on the score itself, it, uh, while majority of the score is based on their vote, 
We also have an access and, and support score built in uh, on the back end of the system. And legislators like Rep. Edwards and many other, many other legislators in the General Assembly, we'll, we'll give them a ranking of a one, two, or three. That's an additive score. A three being the most coveted uh, in that they, they, they talk with us, they talk with our members, they're champions uh, of our issues behind the scenes. Rep. Edwards definitely was one of those as we were moving through the state budget cycle. Absolutely. And he was a, a really good ally on the um, school lunches issue. He truly understands a lot of these public education issues, and he's he's a good friend to public schools. And at the end of the day, this scorecard proves that OEA members are watching. Jeff, Dan, thank you so much for taking the time to walk us through. Thank you for having me, Katie. Thank you, Katie. Again, the link for the updated legislative scorecard is in the show notes for this episode. And while you're online, send me an email at educationmatters at ohea.org to let me know what you think of the podcast and what you would like to hear on a future episode. Until next time, stay well. And remember, in Ohio, public education matters.